0: According to a recent survey, more than half of all UK construction workers have concern around drink and drugs in the workplace. And more than a third of those surveyed have witnessed colleagues working under the influence of drink or drugs. At the same time, a report on the professions most likely to be caught drink driving revealed that the top ten professions are all within or allied to construction. To discuss this, I'm joined by Matt Taylor of ITS Test Kits. Matt has over 18 years of hands-on experience within the drugs and alcohol policy, training and testing sector. His company offers a range of simple to use drug and alcohol testing kits and devices. And I started by asking Matt just how big an issue drink and drugs are in the demolition and construction workplace.
1: I would suggest that um, the construction sector is by far the biggest sector where drugs and alcohol is an issue um, to to the employees, um, if you have a look at uh, a recent survey conducted by the Considerate Constructors Scheme, uh, it found the majority of UK construction workers are concerned about how drugs and alcohol affect their workplace. Included over 1,200 participants, found that 59% of them have concerns or issues related to drugs and alcohol. Uh, 35% of workers have witnessed their colleagues working under the influence of uh, drugs and alcohol. Um, I think some of there's some very interesting facts out and about. I'm not going to bombard you with stuff, but uh, some r- really um, sort of interesting figures are around sort of drink drive figures uh, and the professions that are most likely to drink drive. And the top 10 are all in the construction sector. So you've got number one. Plumbers, number two, builders, number three, ground workers, number four, labourers, number five, roofers, number six, scaffolders, number seven, plasterers, number eight, landscape gardeners, number nine, construction workers, general, and number ten, bricklayers. And considering that 28% of people caught in the UK drink driving are on their way to work. I should give you an issue uh, and a, a sort of idea of where we are um with, with
0: that well it's scant consolation obviously this is a demolition podcast or a demolition show pre- predominantly it's not a great consolation the fact that, that demolition didn't actually come up in that list but you, you've obviously got some st- statistics in front of you there L- yeah. i'm looking specifically at drugs here are the stats pointing towards recreational drug use or is this, are we talking about harder drugs or is it the full gamut of, of, of drugs as well?
1: Okay, well, it's, it's again how you define recreational drugs, Mark. Um, you know, alcohol is a drug and it's um, very harmful and it has the ability to um, harm people way more than some of the illegal drugs. But we've also got to include prescription drugs into the mix as well. So when we talk about drugs, we talk about uh, illegal drugs, so things like cocaine, cannabis, heroin, amphetamines, methamphetamines, um, ecstasy, that type of thing. We've also got legal drugs, so prescription and over-the-counter medication, so that could be opiates, cocodamols, codeines, Uh, dihydrocodines that type of thing Uh, and also especially coming into flu seasons um you know where people are taking night nurses and cold remedies and that type of thing uh, these all have an effect we also then have another gamut of um of drugs which are based around what we would call novel psychoactive substances they used to be called illegal highs but things that are, can uh, still um, cause impairments while in work the majority of um, positives that we see within the construction industry tend to be alcohol cannabis cocaine um, and uh, ecstasy or um, amphetamines that would be the illegal drugs however there's a huge amount of uh opiate use painkillers basically within the construction sector specifically when you're coming towards the colder months and it's understandable when people are under pressure to work they don't work they don't get paid you know they might very easily self-prescribe um and you know take more opiates than they should be doing yet we're not in the same league yet as america in america we call it farmageddon um, which is essentially a huge opiate addiction. But when people are, can get a hold of prescription medications very, very easily uh, through the black market, you can go on the internet and be uh, prescribed these things or buy them off friends or buy them on the black market. Yes, they are a problem. You know, we're coming back to where we were talking about the dangers, you know, uh, statistically, a construction worker is six times more likely to be killed at work than somebody else in the industry. So when you mix the risks involved in working within that industry, together with something that can cause impairments, being under the influence, whether that be drink, drugs or tiredness or stress or whatever it might be, uh, it's only going to expand and impact further, um, you know, the dangers involved. But um, when we're looking at prescription opiates, it tends to be, in America, they've got very much uh, an opiate um, sort of addiction problem uh, as a a middle-class problem. Um, In the construction sector, we tend to see people using it as a painkiller for what it's required for, but self-prescribing and using more than, than their prescribed dose. So quite often it's an education thing to sort of say, look, you do realize that prescription medication can cause you impairment. So if you look at being st- stopped by a police officer on the roadside, there is no difference between something that's illegal or legal. If it's impairing your ability to drive, you can be arrested and charged for that. And it's exactly the same in the workplace. Um, you know, and a prescription medication a glass of alcohol, which is legal, uh, you know, has the same effect or if sometimes worse than perhaps, you know, uh, a toke of a split or something.
0: We've, got, we've had a few more questions in here. Um, and I'll, I'll go to one from our friend Peter Haddock first off. How do you actually test for all these different drugs? Uh, we, we will come on to exactly how your test kits work a bit later on. But I think that's a valid a valid question at this point. How do you test?
1: okay so there's two things you need to understand and, and realize about drug testing uh, so firstly drug testing can't give you all the answers just because you pass a drug test doesn't mean you're not using drugs it could just mean you're not using the drugs that are being tested for on that specific drug test um you've also got to realize that drug testing uh comes in two parts so there's a screening element which is the cost effective cheap element uh, and that's really casting out a, a wide net and seeing if something may or may not be present. And that has a high degree of accuracy. Um, but it's not 100% accurate. Um, if you then find something in that sample, so that could be, I don't know, uh, traces of cannabis, for instance, at that point, we wouldn't call it a positive. We would call it a non-negative or a presumed positive. And that's for the reason that bit there is not legally defensible on its own. So you wouldn't want to be taking disciplinary action based on a screen result, whether it be a laboratory screen or a point of care screen, and we'll come to what those mean a bit later on. So once you have a non-negative result, that then needs to be confirmed via laboratory analysis uh, at a UCAS accredited laboratory, so within Europe, um you know we would follow the ewdts guidelines so those guidelines specify the cutoff levels that we should be using for screening and also the cutoff levels we should be using for confirmation once we get a result back from the lab that will then give us uh, a legally defensible result and that might be positive due to medication declared positive due to medication not declared positive due to a uh, presence of a, an illegal drug or um metabolite in the system or it could be uh, a number of other reasons it could be obviously come back as negative as well so the way we test for the drugs the majority of testing within the world is done via either urine or oral fluid um uh but there are um other types of testing using sweat or wipes um fingerprint te- fingerprint testing is out there at the moment currently which works a little bit off sort of sweat from the from the fingers a little bit more complicated than that um and you also have the wipes which can wipe the skin or wipe the tongue uh, specifically used by um, police forces around the world um Hair testing is also there, but that tends not to be so much for employment. Uh, In in this country, that tends to be more for child protection, legal medical cases where you're looking for forensics and a much longer window of detection. So I come to that point now, window of detection. You're asking how how you normally test. Uh, And if you just look at urine and oral fluid um, predominantly, Urine has a a longer window of detection for drugs or their metabolites, and that would tend to be between three and five days post-consumption. There is a difference with cannabis within urine uh, because cannabis is fat-soluble and metabolite. If you're a heavy, heavy smoker of um, cannabis, uh, and you have done for a long time, something that I was many years ago, um, and you suddenly stop, It can remain in your um, urine system, detectable in your urine system for up to four to five weeks. It very much depends on your metabolism and your fat storage and and a number of other things. When we look at oral fluid, and we call it oral fluid rather than saliva, some people call it saliva testing, but there are other fluids within within the mouth that get uh, picked up. But if we look at oral fluid testing, realistically, that's sort of 12 to 18 hours post-consumption, up to 24 hours with some drugs, but, but much less with others. So, again, it's what are you looking for? How are you looking for it? What are you trying to look for? And, um, you know, what are you trying to prove or disprove? Um and that's why it's it's very important for you to to talk to somebody and and realize what you're testing for, why you're testing for it, and what it actually shows you, but also what it doesn't show you as well, if that makes sense.:
0: right. No, absolutely. I mean one of the things that, that always sticks in, out for me is you know if, if somebody's had a drink you know, you can generally smell it or, you know, they might be a bit staggery, a bit slurred of speech and that kind of thing. A lot of drugs, you don't get any t- real telltale signs, do you? Are there any signs that that employers and fellow employees should be looking out for?
1: Yes, there's plenty. It's something we cover in uh, one of our very popular training courses where we look at spotting the signs and symptoms. But just coming back to what you were saying there, Mark, uh, and this is something I cover in, in the training, um, most people would be able to tell somebody who's under the influence of alcohol because most people have been drunk themselves so you can pull on personal experiences you can say well i know they would smell of alcohol i know they would be slurring words but somebody slurring speech having problems with um, um, motor skills could indicate an underlying health issue the other thing that you need to also consider is most people might be able to pick up somebody who's come to work drunk uh or morning after somebody is drunk at work that type of thing but it'd be very difficult for them to pick up somebody with an alcohol dependency or or addiction so somebody that's an alcoholic uh is very very practiced at being able to hide and disguise the signs and symptoms whether that be chewing gum whether that be, um, you know, um, eating mints, uh, they would walk and talk and function very, very normally. In inverted commas, and because that person acts like that every day, it's difficult for a co-worker who's alongside them eight, nine, ten hours a day sometimes, and hasn't seen that gradual progression but it's often sometimes easier for somebody from the outside coming in and seeing the dramatic changes between maybe seeing that person three, four, five months ago and now seeing them. When it comes on to drugs, uh, each type of drug, whether it be a stimulant uh, or it be a sedative, et cetera, et cetera, will, will cause different types of signs and symptoms. And quite often you can do it by looking at the eyes, whether um, the pupils uh, dilate or constrict, whether people have red eyes, etc. But then there's also a number of other things as well. And it is a skill. Um, and one of the things we always encourage people is, you know, if you're wanting your managers, supervisors, employees to keep an eye out and to be able to spot some of these signs and symptoms, it's really important to train them how to do it. Give them the information. You wouldn't for instance let you know if i put it akin to something within your industry you wouldn't throw me a detonator and some explosives and say can you go and blow that up i could probably do it but i'd probably get it wrong so it's really really important to give people the knowledge to be able to take um legally defensible but also responsible action so what do i do when do i get a second opinion What are the tools available to me if I do suspect? How do I do this? And how do I do it in a way that supports both the employee and the employer? COVID has absolutely impacted the um, drinking habits and patterns and volumes uh, around the globe, not just in the UK. Um, Mental health is a huge impact, specifically within the construction sector. And it's one of the things that drives... The use of drinking drugs i would suggest the two things that really drive are the driving factors within uh, consumption within um, within the construction industry would be mental health and also pain um you know those two things people are are using drink or drugs as a crutch to try and support them covid itself uh has caused more stress more issues, people worried about their jobs, and when people worry about their jobs and stress and and perhaps start suffering more from mental health, it does have an impact and they will consume more. So yes, drink and drugs consumption has increased dramatically during um, the COVID, during this last year really, uh, and specifically during lockdown. Uh, People are drinking earlier in the day, people that are working from home or furlough, they're getting into habits and then having to go back to work. So they may go back into work with a problem that they didn't have pre-COVID. And that might be, well, I'm working from home, so I'll, I'll, I'll smoke a few spliffs during the day and just chill out and relax, and nobody's going to know. Or it could be I'll have a, a glass of lager or a glass of wine or whatever it might be. Uh, you know, I was... Uh, um, I was a a large consumer of drugs within the sort of nineties. Um, and one of the things I would say is drug use is far more prolific than people possibly, I would suggest that, um, the construction sector is by far the biggest sector where drugs and alcohol is an issue, um, to, to the employees. Um, if you have a look at uh, a recent survey conducted by the Considerate Constructors Scheme, uh, it found the majority of UK construction workers are concerned about how drugs and alcohol affect their workplace, it Included over 1,200 participants, found that 59% of them have concerns or issues related to drugs and alcohol. Uh, 35% of workers have witnessed their colleagues working under the influence of uh, drugs and alcohol. Um, I think some of there's some very interesting facts out and about. I'm not going to bombard you with stuff, but uh, some r- really um, sort of interesting figures are around sort of drink drive figures uh, and the professions that are most likely to drink drive. And the top 10 are all in the construction sector. So you've got number one, plumbers, number two, builders, number three, ground workers, number four, laborers number five roofers number six scaffolders number seven plasterers number eight landscape gardeners number nine construction workers general and number ten bricklayers and considering that 28 percent of people caught in the uk drink driving are on their way to work that should give you an issue uh, and a, a sort of idea of where we are um with, with that
0: mark well, it's scant consolation obviously this is a demolition podcast or a demolition show predominantly it's not a great consolation the fact that that demolition didn't actually come up in that list but you've obviously got some statistics in front of you there and looking specifically at drugs here are the stats pointing towards recreational drug use or is this are we talking about harder drugs or is it the full gamut of, of of drugs as well
1: Okay, well, it's, it's, again, how you define recreational drugs, Mark. Um, you know, alcohol is a drug, and it's um, very harmful. And it has the ability to um, harm people way more than some of the illegal drugs. But we've also got to include prescription drugs into the mix as well. So when we talk about drugs, we talk about Uh, illegal drugs so things like cocaine cannabis heroin amphetamines methamphetamines um, ecstasy that type of thing we've also got legal drugs so prescription and over-the-counter medication so that could be opiates cocodamols codeines uh, dihydrocodines that type of thing Uh, and also especially coming into flu seasons um, you know, where people are taking night nurses and cold remedies and that type of thing, uh, these all have an effect. We also then have another gamut of, um, of drugs which are based around what we would call novel psychoactive substances. They used to be called illegal highs, but things that are, can uh, still um, cause impairments while in work. The majority of um, positives that we see within the construction industry tend to be alcohol cannabis cocaine um, and uh, ecstasy or um, amphetamines that would be the illegal drugs however there's a huge amount of uh opiate use painkillers basically within the construction sector, specifically when you're coming towards the colder months. And it's understandable, when people are under pressure to work, they don't work, they don't get paid, you know, they might very easily self-prescribe and, you know, take more opiates than they should be doing. Give it credit for. um, There are certainly two sort of age groups. And um, I would say there's the alcohol uh, consumption age group, uh, but very much behind it is an alcohol and drug consumption and behind that is just drug consumption. So there's an age group of around about sort of 40, 30 to 40 year olds who have been within the drug and the alcohol use uh, sector. Um, cocaine use is massive. It's often uh, just taken for granted, um, you know, passing a spliff round, is often referred to as soft drugs uh, whereas cocaine might be referred to as hard drugs but but again they're quite often just socially acceptable and it's a bit of a norm uh when you look at a line of cocaine now being as uh cheaper than a a cup of coffee or an espresso um you know and it's used in very much a similar way that's the sort of sector that we're in um you know i would suggest People in the workplace are using cocaine and stimulants either to to keep them awake during long work hours, or or, or just to to realistically uh, sometimes just relieve boredom. I don't know if uh, within your industry, Mark, do a lot of people work away in gangs and perhaps stay in a temporary accommodation during the you,
0: week you you've just hit the nail on the head i mean that that's been one of the the issues that we've i mean we certainly addressed it in the past uh, in relation to drink and drugs but more so with mental health is the fact that you know a lot of the guys you know if you're in a demolition gang you can be working literally anywhere and you know some of these jobs go on for Weeks, months, sometimes years. And now, okay, you might get home at the weekend, but you know you don't have any access to uh, your GP. You're away from your family and your friends and your support network, and there is that that boredom. You know, if you've just done a ten hour day on site, and that's that that day is over.
1: Is it is it predominantly male? uh industry yeah.
0: dominating. yeah I mean we, we we are we are seeing more and more women on the site on, on sites these days but no it's it's not it, you know the, the, there is a real imbalance I mean demolition yeah. off the top of my head I'd say it was probably 85 percent male if not slightly more than that.
1: working on site and you have an issue at home a mental health issue do you think many of the lads would be sharing that with the people that they're bunking up with? Or do you think they were find solace in a bottle or perhaps, you know, uh, in a drug?
0: My well, certainly the experience, as I say, talking about things like mental health awareness, 99.9% of, of men in the industry seem to keep things bottled up. And and yeah, you know, you say seek solace in in something other than talking to their friends.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, is it? Are there a lot of young People coming through in demolition or is what's the what's the sort of age group of uh, you know the average sort of age group?
0: I always refer to construction and demolition as a bit like a funnel so you've always got people retiring or you know moving on to other things at the bottom so you're constantly topping up and by and large that topping up is done with school and I was going to say school and college and university leavers by and large you know particularly when you're talking about labour level you are talking about school leavers um, so, yeah, it tends to be young people in in at the top and older people out at the bottom.
1: And I think the older people coming out at the bottom are more used to and probably more affected by alcohol uh, usage, um, but certainly the the youth and the sort of people who maybe will have worked uh, on the coalface before but now moving into management would very much have a, a higher experience of, of drugs, either themselves or people around them that they know, family, friends, um, you know, it's it's very much commonplace now. It's not something that's, you know, kept in a cupboard that nobody knows about. It's very much socially acceptable within many, many different circles. During the 90s, if you look at, um, you know, a, a gram of cocaine, probably cost you in the region of 80 to 100 quid, you could probably pick that up. Okay, it's not going to be as high a strength. Or possibly even a complete gram but you know you can pick those up for 30 35 pounds a gram if you look at an ecstasy tablet 30 pounds uh, you know in the early 90s now a couple of quid so it's actually cheaper than alcohol as well and and that's the other thing you're going to consider is you know sometimes it's less easy to detect um you know if, if you're having a drink you can smell it on your breath uh, coming back to something you said before, Mark, you know, if if your managers and supervisors are not competent and confident in the ability to spot the signs of symptoms, they're just going to let it go past. They're not going to know. And, you know, the people that are using drinking drugs know that. So they know what to say. They know how to behave so that they don't get caught.
0: Assuming that an employee does test positive for, and let's let's be specific about drugs in this instance, um, it's not just as straightforward as they've tested positive. Therefore, it's a, a dismissal, is it? It's um, you know, it's a lot more complicated than that. I mean, my understanding is it's got to be written into their terms of employment um, and that kind of thing. And uh, you know, I, I try to see b- both sides of the argument on these things, but with with something like demolition or construction, particularly where you're talking about possibly um, operating heavy equipment and that kind of thing. It just seems crazy that, that, you know, somebody that's put themselves and others at risk, it's not just as straightforward as a, as an instant dismissal.
1: There's so many different factors you've got to consider and you know, first and foremost, a drug and alcohol policy is all about health and safety. That's the first thing. So health. The health and well-being of your employees and the people that they come into contact and the safety of those other stakeholders as well unfortunately the amount of policies that i see which are just completely unfit for purpose uh, maybe three or four paragraphs on the side of a4 that says you can't take drugs and if you do we'll dismiss you they just don't hold water Uh, you know policies have to be reasonably detailed and reasonably complex so that they can cover all aspects. You need to be able to protect your, the employer. An employer has duty of care, has obligations to health and safety law, and to criminal law as well, uh, and to things like you know misuse of drugs, uh, acts, um, transport works, all those different elements. But also the employees have a duty of care as well. So you need to set out what's expected You need to set out what will happen if, but you also need to put in a policy like that, the ability for somebody to come forward and say, I've got a problem, can you help? So there's so many different scenarios of why somebody would show positive. If I was an employee and I come forward of my own free will, by the way, not not when I've been selected for random testing and at that point I say, excuse me, but I just need to let you know at this point. But if I come forward of my own free will and come to a manager and say, or come to a friend, a colleague and say, look, you know, uh, I'm really struggling at home. Um, my wife's left me and I've got financial issues and I've started using drugs and I don't want to lose my job as well. Can you help? Then that, is a prime opportunity for the employer to extend a hand of of help and give that person the ability to be able to go and seek that help in a manner which allows their employment to stay open. If I ask for help, I shouldn't be dismissed. Okay, I've done nothing wrong. I've come forward just like I would maybe come forward and say, um, you know, I'm suffering from mental health or I'm suffering from a bad back or stress or whatever it might be, you know, I've come forward and I've asked for help. So the company should be there to help me. That doesn't mean financially they have to help me. It could be signposting me to occupational health, signposting me to um, groups local to me where I can go and get the help and support and counselling maybe that I need. I may have developed an addiction. I may have developed a dependency two different things uh, I might be just using socially and I could say well I can stop whenever I want so you have to you have to be able to deal with that if I have an accident on site and in the policy it says you do with cause testing for cause testing so after accident incident uh, near miss um or where somebody has suspicion or reason to believe that I may be under the influence of drink or drugs. And I test positive. So I've been tested. either by urine, so it could be a, a urine test like that. So pee into the pot and it gives each one of these strips here is a different drug and that would then indicate that's a screen result. And you've got the same with a, with an oral fluid kit here as well where this one tests for six different drugs and that screen is a non-negative it then goes to the laboratory and it comes back and says yes we found cocaine in the system over and above the prescribed limit the cutoff limit you then need to have that stated somewhere in the policy that says if somebody returns a positive result what's going to happen are they going to face disciplinary action Disciplinary action doesn't mean they have to be sacked. But it needs to state in that policy exactly what will happen. If there are no rules and regulations, then actually what you're saying is go and do what you want and there's no consequences for for your behaviour. There could be things that are in the policy to give guidance about how long alcohol might stay in your system for. Um, You know, you need to look at different levels. So for instance, in Scotland, the drink drive level is lower than in England. And if you have a company, an English company, with a policy that gives the English limit, who's now working in Scotland, they need to be aware of it. So you have to think of all these different aspects. The policy there is to give people knowledge of what can happen so it should cover every possible eventuality when do i get tested am i pre-employment tested am i random tested if i am random tested how how are people selected what will happen if if i want help where do i get it what will happen if i ask is it confidential uh, what happens if i um you know get pulled over by the police and lose my license through drink driving, do I have to declare that? What if I'm in a company van? Am I insured if I'm covered, if I'm driving while under the influence? All these different aspects need to be in there. So you'd have a policy, but you'd also have a procedures um, document. The procedures document really is there for the stakeholders to be able to take responsible and consistent action. So everybody's singing off the same hymn sheet. So you don't get one manager who goes, well, it was just cannabis. I've known the lad for 20 years. You know, let's treat him differently from the lad we sacked last week for doing the same thing. So consistency, legal defensibility, all these things are there, but they're only there if you define them in a policy and procedures document.
0: I guess the, the obvious question here is where does your company slot into all of this? What, what is it that your company actually does?
1: Okay, so I've been working within the industry for practically 18, 19 years. Uh, I sit on some um, world leading uh, forums as well and help organize some of those forums across across the globe. Uh, There are many companies that offer drugs and alcohol testing, services, policy and everything else. you know, that can be sending people out to do the testing it can be just selling kits it could be providing laboratory services it could be the whole gamut you know we're finding a lot of occupational health companies have bolted on drugs and alcohol testing as another service because they're there doing maybe lung function tests or a sort of fitness for work tests and they said, well you know while we're here we can do a drug and alcohol test so where does my company fit in well you know, we we very much started our business based around um, quality, innovation, and trust. Um, you know, we we know we're not always the cheapest um, because we very much pitch our quality uh, at a high level. Um, you know, some of the uh, some of the stuff we see out there, stuff given away, policies you know given away free of charge. Um, you know i always something my mom and dad always said to me you know something that's free always comes with a a caveat so um you know copy and pasting stuff off the internet um borrowing your 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 friends policy from a similar company always 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 look through it and make sure that it is fit for purpose and bespoke to to the purpose that you require it to be our company provides policy, uh, training, help, uh, support, education. We also sell um, drug testing equipment, um, and that, whether that be breathalysers. So we focus very much on Home Office approved breathalysers and what we would call um, equipment, which were, would meets the European Workplace Drug Testing guidelines. Um, There are other companies out there, similar, um, there are other companies out there, um, you know, that do more and some that do less. If you're wanting to find out more information, you're either looking to revamp your policy, write a policy, introduce a policy, come and speak to a company like ourselves or somebody else and get some expert help. Um, You know, a telephone call doesn't cost anything, but, when you start looking and wanting the experience and expertise of somebody that has that knowledge, that will cost you something. So, you know, if I was to offer a free policy, the only reason I'm going to offer a free policy is if I'm going to, um, you know, recoup the money some other way because every policy should be different. Kits should be fit for purpose, they should be high quality with a high sensitivity, specificity and accuracy. Are they using the correct cutoff guidelines? So um, for instance, there's a lot of drug testing kits which are manufactured for the mass market, tends to be the USA mass market, and they tend to use higher cutoff levels than perhaps you would expect to use in, uh, in Europe. So the drug testing kits that we use tend to have those lower cut-off levels, more akin to the European Workplace Drug Testing Society guidelines.
0: Men don't particularly like to share. I I think there's also a degree of we don't like to get people in trouble as well. Um, Do you think people are reluctant to out a colleague? My guess is going to be, yes, they probably are. Again,
1: coming back to what we were saying, there's there's training and there's education. Uh, Two completely different things. So What we should be doing is training the managers and supervisors how to spot the signs and symptoms, what to do, how to do it, how to do it in a responsible and legally defensible manner, how to follow the policy uh, word by word to ensure its consistent approaches is led. Education should be for the masses. It should be for all employees. And part of that education should be education, not propaganda. Standing up in front, so having a health and safety manager standing up in front of a team of lads and saying, thou should not take drugs, do not take drugs, just say no, it doesn't work. The simple fact is, there's people out there that will be taking drugs, and they'll know far more than the health and safety manager stood in front of them. So it just sort of goes over the top, falls on deaf ears, I've heard it so many times before, I'm not going to bother listening, nobody's ever caught me before, I know how to pass a test, I've just used... Jimmy's urine rather than mine. Um, you know, all these different aspects of how they've got past before because the company that employs them doesn't really know what they're doing and has, has, has sort of taken a bit off the internet from here, read a little bit about there, and sort of gone, okay, well, we can do this, and, and they're not actually doing it properly. Educating the workforce should be inclusive of things like, okay, if I'm caught, what are the implications? So firstly, the implication should be, well, actually, if you're consuming drugs or alcohol, you'll come to work uh, under the influence of drugs and alcohol. And don't forget, under the influence can also mean being hung over. Um, you know, because that has a massive uh, after effect on on people's performance and work. You know, what does it mean? Well, it means I could kill myself. I could kill somebody else. So actually, one of the the least impact things is I might lose my job. If I'm working with a gang of lads and I know one of them may be using drugs, I think was it Peter that asked that question? Mark? It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So Peter used the term outing, and that's the issue. It's educating people that actually it's not grassing people up. What you're actually doing is supporting your work colleagues. So by encouraging them to go forward and ask for help, they're not going to get sacked. Sitting down with them and saying, look, I've noticed you're smelling of alcohol, Matt. Uh, Is there any issues? I think we need to just go and tell somebody you've got a problem or why have you come into work like that? And by surrendering yourself voluntarily... And disciplinary shouldn't come into it, certainly losing your job shouldn't come into it. The problem being is if you turn a blind eye and you don't out somebody, what's the worst that can happen? Okay, so the worst that could happen is that person doesn't go home tonight. You didn't say anything, so who's responsible?
0: Obviously, you and I are speaking mid-lockdown. I've just been watching Boris Johnson uh, giving an update, so we, we are very much mid-lockdown. And your company is now looking at an instant rapid test for COVID-19 as well as the drink and drugs testing as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely, well, Mark. Um, you know, we don't just do drink and drugs, uh, drugs and alcohol testing. We do health and wellbeing testing. So when COVID came along, um, we were asked by a lot of clients can we do the testing? It was a natural progression. So we we invested an awful lot of time and money into training ourselves and educating ourselves around virology and the uh, the way uh, COVID-19 can be detected, both accurately and inaccurately. We've been working within the COVID testing now since probably about February. Uh, and we've just uh, literally, um, this uh, this last week um, are introducing to our clients uh, an instant COVID test. So it's a, what we call a lateral flow test. So it's very similar to a drug test um, and it gives a result, a highly accurate result, um, about 99% accuracy, um, 100% um, uh, sensitivity, 97 points on specificity. Uh, again, if people want the information by all means, come through yourself, Mark, or come to me directly. It's not a problem. Um, but these tests are a cost-effective way of um, screening the workforce. Are they as accurate as a laboratory test? And the answer is no. Okay? But then a laboratory test would cost you 100 £120 a time, uh, which is not cost-effective when you're having to, to to screen lots of people lots of times so having a very cost effective uh, but highly accurate and instant result which you can then act upon I think and I truly believe is a game changer and one of the things that our company uh, decided when COVID came in was if we're going to go into COVID testing we don't want to play at it so there was there was a number of elements a can we do it properly and can we do it well because that's what we're renowned for we don't want to let customers down and we don't want to let um you know potential customers down either but also the other thing we decided very much so was that we weren't going to price gouge we were not going to be one of these companies that made reams and reams of profit out of pandemic there's nothing more we'd like to see than getting people back to work because actually that's where our business is. If people aren't in work, then drug and alcohol testing is pretty irrelevant. If people aren't on site and they're all sat at home, drugs and alcohol is irrelevant. So it's really important to us to play our part and we decided that yes, okay, you know we're not a charity. We have to cover costs and we have to make a certain amount of profit. but. We're certainly not a company that's going to price gouge. We know companies that are charging four, five, six times even uh, more for these kits because they're novel, because they're new, because we know people are going to want them, um, and the demand has been fantastic. To be honest with you, it really is good. Um, I must caveat it with they're for professional use only, so we can't just sell it to anybody. Um, but you know, we have a, a massive amount of our customers who have occupational health support. And with the occupational health support, they're able to provide the, the screening uh, in a, a cost effective and rapid way. Um, you know, what's better than being able to screen some people who are on site, uh, you know, on a, on a Monday morning and, and give everybody a, you know, a clean bill of health for that day? Um, you know, it gives both the employer and the employees comfort. Um, it, it helps them with the safety. Some people may or may not want to know. Um, we also do it in conjunction with a, an antibody test as well, but that's 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 by the by, So um, yeah, we are we are heavily involved in COVID testing. We also provide a number of testing um, locations uh, for one of our uh, large customers. Where um, we do uh, fit to fly um, testing, which is a full back to lab service, uh, and provide uh, the sampling for for them as well. Um, That's dotted.